Awesome. He is risen. Oh, y'all got to do a little better than that. Let's try that again. So for many of you, you may not have grown up in church, and one of the things that pastors love to do is to get their crowds excited. And one of the ways they did that in Easter is the pastor would say, he is risen, and your response would be, he is risen indeed. But don't say it like you're asleep at home on the couch. Because... This is one of the most vital, if not the most single important event of your Christian history. I know when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, that was important. And many of you got excited. I know that when you had your first child, you were like, yeah. But when we speak of our Savior dying for all of our sins, being put in a tomb, And then on the third day, rising again, that is the thing that we should just levitate with joy and excitement more than anything else. So, let's try it again. He is risen. Amen. There you go. Hey, we're getting there. I know many of y'all are Baptists and you're like, we're not allowed to clap. Not allowed to shout. Listen, that may be in certain occasions, but when we're talking about our risen Savior, let it fly. Like, it's kind of important. And if we can't get excited about that, what are we going to get excited about? I mean, this is the thing that's going to get us to heaven is the fact that he rose from the dead. Like, it's amazing. It's good stuff. So this past Friday evening, we had our Good Friday service, and we talked a lot about fear because all of us have some type of fear going on inside of us. We get worried, we get stressed out, we get nervous, we get anxious. And fear causes all kinds of different emotions. In fact, we looked at these few definitions that it's an agitated feeling aroused by awareness of actual or threatening danger or trouble. That's that real fear emotion that we feel, that when we know something's coming our way, we panic, we stress, we freak out. Amen? We all do it to some degree. But it also talks about an uneasy feeling that something may happen contrary to one's desire. And we all struggle with that. We all have these expectations of how we feel like life should go. Right? And yet, it rarely goes that way. And so we all kind of have that secret fear of, well, I'm wanting it to happen this way, but life has taught me it's probably not going to happen, but I'm still going to hope. And in that hope is mixed some fear, and it gets a little cloudy, doesn't it? Just like we are waiting for the return of Christ. Well, we've never seen anything like that. So there's a small portion of us on the human perspective that gets a little worried about that. But then the spiritual side kicks in. The spirit says, no, you don't need to worry about that. I got it under control. Just be prepared. And that's where the fear gets kicked out and the joy comes in. And then the last one, it's a feeling of deep reverential awe and dread. Now that is where we should all be concerning God. We should all have a deep reverential Um, all of who he really is because he has done some amazing things however we should also have a very good understanding of dread because he's God now we know based on scripture that those that follow him are good we're we're good we're going to be okay but those that do not they will not be okay 
And so our dread is not so much for us, but for them. I'm concerned about my friends and my family and my neighbors and my co-workers. Well, not my co-workers, but <laughs> your co-workers that don't know the Lord. Listen, if I've got co-workers that don't know the Lord, then we have not done our job properly, right? But there's a dread for the world, or at least there should be. And so we talked a lot about fear because fear just runs rampant in our world. And people fight fear in different ways. And they look to things to help them with their fears. Sometimes we buy bigger houses because we fear that we don't have a big enough house to hold all the stuff that we don't ever need. So we go buy bigger. Or we buy that nice car because having that nice car sets us apart from everybody else, gives us that level of status that we really don't need because our egos don't need any help. And so we buy it and we couldn't afford it and we didn't need it in the first place because we're fighting the fear of what people are going to think. Or maybe we turn to substance abuse. Maybe we turn to pornography. Maybe we turn to extramarital relationships. You see, it can be anything. We use all kinds of things to try to combat the fear in hopes that those things will bring joy. And in reality, they bring death. They bring emptiness. They bring you what you hoped to fight against. But you're here this morning. Why? Because you're looking for some type of joy. You're looking for something to satisfy that longing that lives within you. And you heard about this guy, Jesus, and you know that Easter's an important holiday because apparently this guy, Jesus, died and he was buried and he rose again. So I'm going to go celebrate that even though I don't even know what that means. Maybe it'll show me something. Well, let me tell you this morning. It can show you more than you ever thought. It can provide for you more than anything else that the world offers you and some. Because your fear is real. It's there. We all have these things that we carry all the time. We have these pet hobbies that we like to carry in hopes that it's going to fix our fears. And yet the only thing that will fix your fear this morning is turning it into joy by having a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we look at the definition of joy, we see that it's gladness, it's great delight. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is going out and playing golf and you're happy until you have a bad hole because I know. And then you're mad for a couple of holes and then you have another good hole and then you're happy again. That's not joy. Golf does not bring me joy. Because I can shoot the best golf score of my life, Mark, you know. And then all I think about are those three bad holes that I had. I don't care about the good score. I go back and I replay the bad shots. Why do we do that? Because we all have fear. We don't allow true joy to enter our lives. And we try to fill the voids that we have and fight the fear that we don't want with things that are already dead and empty. Joy comes from something deeper, for something more pure. And it is a sense of gladness or great delight. It is a state of contentment. Paul said it best. He said, I've learned in whatever state I am. And he's referring to whether having a lot or nothing, being hungry or not, 
He's like, no matter where I'm at, no matter what stage of life I'm at, no matter what I'm dealing with, I have learned the secret to this life. I have learned to just be content. I want you to think about this this morning. How content are you really? How content are you? Are you happy with what you have? Or are you already planning that next thing? Why? Because we all have fear that it isn't big enough. It's not shiny enough. It's not good enough. Let me tell you something. Christ is more than enough. Christ is absolutely shiny enough. He is far more fulfilling than anything else. In fact, James says that we should count it all joy when we go through various trials. It's not my favorite verse, just so you know. But it's Charlie's favorite verse. He brings that up all the time when we would have uh, meetings in my office. And I'm like, can you find another one? (laughs) But the reality is it's so true. We should leverage Every good and bad thing that happens in our life, the things that don't make sense, the things that catch us off guard, the things that put us in a tailspin, we should leverage all of those things to allow the joy of the Lord to be fulfilled in our lives. And now listen, I know what you're thinking. How do I do that? That sounds really good. But what? How can I get that? How can I truly find true joy when my life is falling apart? Glad you asked. Because we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Here's the thought I have for you today. Now I know you probably think I spent weeks and months and years thinking up this. You've already thought this, right? Life is found in Christ alone. You've been taught this probably all your life. You've heard it. Maybe some have bought into it. Some are like, no, I found other things. But let me tell you, as straight as I can tell you, life, true life is found only in Christ alone. You may find happiness in other things, but true Life, the way that it was intended for us to live, can only be found in the person of Jesus. Now, you'll hear a lot of things outside of this room. Oh, no, 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 no. If you just do this, if you just buy this, if you just have this, if you just live this way, I'm telling you, and you know I cannot lie to you, my job depends on it. Those things are empty and dead. It's kind of like a roller coaster ride, right? When you get into the seat, you've never been on it, you're terrified, scared to death because you don't know what's coming, right? That fear of dread, that worry of what is to come, that you're not sure what's going to be, you know it's going to be something, but you don't know what it is. And then when you get down after you topple over that biggest hill that you about pass out and throw up on, And you hit the bottom and you're coming back up. You're like, that's not so bad. That was fantastic. I'm happy. Until you come to the corkscrew. And then it messes you up at 45. And your mind doesn't catch back up. And then you're dizzy the rest of the day and you're sick to your stomach. Oh, wait, that's just me. Sorry. But the reality is 
That is what the things that the world throws at you will do for you. They will give you a brief sense of happiness and then it's gone. Christ, in the midst of your lowest, darkest spot, Christ can still allow you to experience joy even in those moments. It doesn't make sense to me. But with 100% confidence, I can tell you it is absolutely true. Because I've experienced it. I've lived it. I still live it. I love it. I want more of it. The happiness, that's fun. That's fine. But I want the everlasting joy that lives within me to stay because it keeps me in a state of contentment. So let's see how this Easter story unfolds and where we really want to get to in this story. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> now we left the story on Friday that Jesus died. He took a brutal beating, walked a long road with the, the crossbeam across his back, walked up the road, was nailed to that crossbeam, hoisted up, onto the cross, feet nailed to the cross, and was there for quite a few hours. Miserable, mocked, made fun of. And then finally, when he gave up his spirit, he willingly died. They pierced his side just to make sure, but he was already gone. Can't imagine what all of his friends and followers were thinking as they were watching. Can't imagine what even the guards were thinking in those moments. Can't imagine what the Pharisees were thinking. When all of the events started to take place, the earthquake, the darkness, the veil ripping. But it wasn't over. Many people just want to say, well, he's dead, he's gone. But that's not the end of our story or his. And in Matthew 28, it says this. Now, after the Sabbath... As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now in other gospels, you will find that there are other ladies with them, but for whatever reason, Matthew only mentions these two. Now I know it's very popular for people to say that, well, if you can't have all the gospels match up, then it must be false. Well, actually, I would rather them not match up. I would rather them give different perspectives that all match together to give me a better story. I know, pray. Skeptics are probably saying, oh, you just say that because you're a preacher. No, that's, that's legitimate for me. You watch any FBI show, and anytime the stories are the same, they know they're lying. <laughs> that's what they say. Well, these guys are telling the truth then. Verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now let me paint the picture for you here. These two ladies come and they are there and they want to see Jesus. They want to make sure that he's still there because this massive stone had been rolled in front of the tomb because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had remembered that he talked about that he was going to come back to life in a couple of days. And so to make sure that this didn't happen as if they had any power against it, they said, we want to make sure, number one, that he doesn't get out. Number two, we want to make sure that none of his followers are able to come and steal his body to make it as if he has risen from the dead. So please put a big stone in front of it, seal it, and then put a guard around it. And so they do. 
Now, you got to think about these guards. These are Roman centurions. These are not sissies. These are massive men who make it their lifelong goal to beat people, to persecute people, just to be mean and nasty. They practice over and over and over. That's what they do. So these men are, are built. They're, they're thugs, really. They're just nasty men. And yet, in the moment that this angel comes down, an earthquake takes place, and this angel somehow or another moves this stone all by himself. Now, this isn't just a little pebble or a little boulder. This is a massive rock that would have taken many men to move. And this little person moves it all by himself. And he's bright and shiny. And these strong men who are ready for battle, they are waiting for these followers of Jesus to come and battle with them and steal his body away. That's what they're waiting for. The problem is they were ready for the wrong battle. And it caught them so off guard that this little person moved this massive stone and came in such fashion that they passed out. They fell as if they were dead men. That's powerful. In the other Gospels, you will see that Mary and Mary came after the tomb had been opened. In this one, it seems as if they're there, but we know that they weren't because they asked a couple of different times and they were worried that someone had stolen his body already. And they asked, where is he? But the angel answered and said to the women, because they were scared, like that would be a little fearful, right? A little unnerving. The angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. They get there, and I'm sure this angel could see that they were distraught, which we would have all been distraught if our best friend, our Savior, the one that has worked these miraculous miracles, this crazy things that he has done, and speaking and loving the way that he has, when they get there and his tomb is open, naturally they're going to be fearful that someone has stolen his body. Who would have do that? Well, they knew what they were facing, and they had prepared for that, and they knew that it could be a possibility. And so they were worried. And the angel said, no, 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 don't be afraid. It's all good. Just know that as he told you already, he did it. He rose from the dead. He's not here. He is risen. <laughs> there you go. Just making sure you're following with me here. Right? That's what he says. Don't worry about it. Come and see. It's one of our favorite taglines here. Come and see. Just come into the tomb and see for yourself. Don't take my word for it. You come in here and let your eyes see that he is not here. Verse 7. And go quickly. And tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Basically, this angel says, listen, here's what I need you to do. Come and see first, and then go quickly and tell the disciples what you see. Now, when they go and tell the disciples in a couple of the Gospels, some of the disciples didn't believe them. 
They didn't believe the ladies. But two of them wanted to make sure for themselves. Peter and John take off. And they run. And they get there. And lo and behold, it was true. He wasn't there. Later on, we find that Jesus appears a couple of different times, but we know that he was alive. And in verse 8, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Notice in that last verse, what does it say? With fear and great joy. This fear is not because they were terrified. It's because of the reverential awe that they had that Jesus was alive after he had died. They realized, they acknowledged that he really was the son of God, that he really was alive and that what he had said actually came true. And they were filled with joy. A deep vein of gladness was within them, something that could never be taken away from them. And they ran back and told the disciples. So there's a couple of things I want you to see in this passage With fear and great joy, the ladies ran with that deep, reverential awe. This was their friend. This was the very one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is the one that said, I'm going to help everyone. I'm here to give my life. And yet he was dead. But now he's not. The roller coaster? They were hearing all these teachings that he was telling them and they were kind of unsure about it because they'd never seen anything like it. They get to the top of the mountain, the top of the hill and go over the crest of that thing and as he dies, everything is ripped away from them. But at the bottom, when they find out that he is alive again, it all comes back. Isn't that interesting? It's the same way it is with us, by the way. We face these things that God allows into our lives and we're worried. We don't know what's going to happen on the other side and we have this fear. And yet when we trust God and submit to what he has in front of us and we are able to go through it, when we get to the other side, it is not happiness that we are experiencing. It is true joy, a deep gladness for what God has done, how he leveraged that awful thing that we thought was going to be so terrible to be something great for his glory. That is what's happening here. The angel tells them, come and see. Why did they run though? Why did they run with this reverential fear? Why did they run? Because they saw something different. They entered into that tomb and they saw that this was absolutely different. What they had seen was not what they thought they were going to see. They thought they were going to be something different. But hope was alive. Why? Because the tomb was empty. Think about that. All of their hope had been dashed because their friend, the very one who brought people back to life, was dead. But when they saw that the tomb was empty, they were reminded of just how powerful he really was. And the hope became alive again. Hope was alive because the tomb was empty. So they wanted them to come and see. By the way, let me ask you a question. How many times do you tell your friends, hey, I just want you to come and see? But I don't know all the right answers. That's not what I asked you. I just asked you, how many times have you invited someone just to simply come and see? 
The angel told them what they were going to see, but he allowed them to experience it for themselves. Our job, our responsibility is just to get people into the presence of God. That is either inviting them here to church or better yet, living out our Christian walk in front of them. Come and see. It's very simple. It's very moving. It can change one's life. Why else? (laughs) They ran with that great reverential awe and this deep-seated joy because they were excited about what they saw. And so they went and told that we want to spread the great news to those who believe. Now, I, I specifically put that this way because... If God moves within my heart and in my life in a major, major issue, and I just find some random person that I don't know, and I just unload all my stuff on them, what's that going to do to them? I mean, honestly, they're going to look at me like, "Mm, no, thank you. Correct? Come on, stay with me here. Come on. So the reality is when God moves in a massive way, my first response should not be to hold it in. I should find another believer and share with them. Here's why. Because when I share things with Sally or I share things with my friends, it allows that joy that's within them that I don't know whether it's dwindling or not. It allows more joy to be infused in them because of what Christ is doing in me. So my first response should not be to hold it tight, but to go and tell it quickly to those who believe. But it also means that at some point in time, I should be willing to share portions of my story that will allow people to come and see, and I should be quicker about it than I normally am. We've got neighbors, we've got coworkers, we've got friends that may not even know that you're a believer. Man. Go and tell them quickly. You don't have to give them the Romans road and thump your Bible. Just say, hey, you know what? Guess what I did today? I went to church. Can I tell you why I went to church? They may say no and then tell them anyway. <laughs> but just let them know. Why is today special? Why did you... Get up this morning and come to church on Easter. Why? Well, you have your own personal reason. Let that be the start of your testimony. Let that be the start of your story. And who knows where the conversation will go. And maybe that's why you don't want to start one. Because you don't know where it will go. Don't let that fear steal the opportunity for somebody to experience joy that lives within you. You tracking? That was really nicely put right there. I like that. That was good. (laughs) So go and tell quickly. Quickly to our believers. Wise with unbelievers. But they need to come and see as well. And they need to hear what God is doing in and around us. Why? What are we going to tell them? He's risen. risen. Yeah, you guys are getting good now. (laughs) That's what we share with them. We have a purpose for our lives. We have a purpose as to why we do the things we do. There's a reason why I stand up here on Sunday mornings and shout at you for 45 minutes. Because I love what he has done. There's a joy inside of me that just, I got to let it out or I'll explode. And you don't want that. That's gross. But it's not just my testimony that matters. Because I wasn't there. 
I can only testify to what God is doing in my heart and life today. What he did when I was six and what he did when I was a teenager and what he's done over the last few years of my life. I can only testify personally. But let me tell you something. There is documentation of Jesus coming back to life and appearing to people. This is not some fictitious, made-up thing. He appeared to two men, two of his disciples, on the road to Emmaus. Sadly, these guys went this whole journey. We're not sure how long it is, but it was a couple miles that I believe, if I remember correctly. And he ends up at their house. They coerce him to stay for dinner. And after he prays, that's when they realize who he was. Please, dear God, don't let me get so caught up with my world that I fail to recognize when you're walking with me. These are his disciples, and they were so distraught and fearful of all the things that had taken place, their joy was stolen, and they were not able to see their very friend in front of them. Mary and Mary, how excited were they? Can you imagine the trauma that they experienced as they watched Jesus be beat and hung on a cross? Watched him die and then put his body in a tomb? And then to come on the third day and the tomb be opened and he not there? But it wasn't shortly after that that Mary saw Jesus face to face. Again, the roller coaster and the joy that I'm sure welled up with inside of her when it was for real. The disciples, when they saw him in the upper room, when Thomas said, nah, I don't believe it. And Jesus like, I'm right here. Come put your hand in my side, touch my my hands see that I'm real but here's the thing that gets me the best because all of those we could say well they're just the disciples they're just going to lie and make it up they're his friends they're his followers they're just going to make it up to just keep the story going but Paul tells us later on in first Corinthians all of these different instances of people seeing him and him being one of them after the resurrection but he says that one given moment he appeared to over 500 people now you may be thinking okay did you know that it only takes one person's testimony to cause a conviction in a court of law one person we have over 500 people who testify to seeing christ after they know he was dead know he was in the grave and after he came back to life they saw him. So for me, this isn't a game. This isn't some fictitious thing that I'm hoping is true. I know it's true. I know it's true. However, there is a question that is asked in one of the gospels that actually applies to all of us. And it's really where I want to camp today. I'm not going to keep you much longer, I promise. I know some of y'all went, what? What? <laughs> but I really need your attention for the next 10 or 15 minutes. There's such an important question, and I want you to see it. It's in Luke. In Luke chapter 24, verse 5, same story, and it's with the ladies get there, and they're looking for Jesus. The angel talks to them, and here's what he says to them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And as I looked at this, and I read over it, and I studied it, and I thought, man, that is such an important question. 
Why do you seek the living among the dead? When they got there, they didn't realize that Jesus was alive again. They were doing what every normal person would do and going back and visiting a loved one. They went to where they were laid, that he was dead. But what they failed to understand was that he really was the son of God and he really was alive. And so the angel just simply asks a wonderful question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? So here's the question I have for you. Why do you seek for life among dead things? Let that sink in a little bit. I love golf, y'all know that. But I do not seek golf out for life. In fact, it steals my joy a lot of times. <laughs> Golf's expensive, so are golf balls and it just steals my joy when I hit one in the water. It doesn't bring me joy. It brings me happiness. You know, I, I joke a lot about the chandeliers in here. If they disappeared, it would make me happy. <laughs> but it would not bring me joy. Joy is being among my fellow believers, my friends and family, and in the presence of God, that's what brings me joy. And there are so many things that we go after, seeking to find life in, that absolutely steals your life away. Because joy only comes through Christ. So I ask you again, what is it in your life right now that you are seeking after in hopes that it will bring you life, but knowing that it's only taking it faster than it's giving it? We search for life in so many dead things, tombs that are so very empty. Some of us, again, go to the bottle, go to drugs, we go to pornography, we go to extra relationships outside of our marriages. I, do you want me to keep going? Like, I could name a bunch of stuff, but I don't want to insult your intelligence because you guys are smart enough to know that. You know exactly the areas in your life that I'm talking about that you're pouring money into, energy into, time into that is not returning anything to you. So I ask you again, why are you searching for life in those things that are absolutely dead? Now, you may be thinking, does that mean I can't go play golf anymore? No, I'm going to go play golf. But I'm not going to rely on that to bring me joy. I'm not going to rely on the things, my little pet hobbies that I thought once would bring me life. I'm not going to rely on those things to bring me life. I'm going to rely on something bigger than myself to bring me true joy in life. Life is only found in Christ. Again, that seems so generic, right? But, thank you, Aaron. Yes, it is. Let it sink in. We, we know that. We have been taught this. You've heard this. I've screamed it for years. But my question is, do you really buy into it and believe it? 
You're here for a reason. I know it's Easter, but hopefully that's not the only reason you came today. And if it is, that's okay too. I'm glad I got your attention today. But what does life really look like for you? Is it stuff or is it him? And let me just tell you how this works. There's a little secret to this. When I submit all that I have to him and he is my sole focus, he has this unique ability. I don't know how he does it, but he can peer into my life, into my heart and into my mind and see the areas that need fixing and adjusting and working on. And he allows certain things to take place into my life to help with the things that I was trying to medicate for. All because I'm trusting him with everything. Doesn't that seem backwards to you? It's totally backwards from what the world says. The world says, you got a problem? Here's a solution. Do this one. And many of you have tried them. You're still trying them. How's it working out for you? You're still as empty as you were, if not more, than when you started. Let's be honest and real. Let's stop playing games. This is Easter. Jesus is alive. And so let's just be real. At some point in time, you're going to be faced with a decision, and probably at the end of this service, <laughs> whether you're going to follow him or not. He's already working on some of your hearts. That's a big guess, but it's a huge assumption that I'm pretty confident in. He's already working. He's already bringing to mind those things that are dead in your life that you're trying to get life out of, and it's not working. Life can only be found in his word. That's where true life is found. Listen to this passage in Psalm 119. It says, this is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me, say it with me, life. life. Hmm. Whose word? Alan's word. Nope. Surely not mine. His word. His word. His word. But Alan, I can't read that and understand it. I, I get that. I used to be that way. It just takes practice. It takes commitment. It takes little doses at a time and it will grow into something more. Be patient with yourself and show a little grace to yourself. Trust that the Holy Spirit will do his part. You just need to be willing. It goes on. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O oh Lord, and have comforted myself. The whole world around me is going nuts, but I'm going to stick to what you've got because that's what brings me comfort. Your laws, your direction, your encouragement, your teachings, your word in a chaotic world gives me hope and life and joy. <clears throat> Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have, me, uh, have been my songs in the house of my priv uh, privilege, <laughs> pilgrimage. Now, what's interesting in that is I want you to look back at the last part of that. Indignation, anger, rawr, that's what it's talking about, has taken hold of me. Why? Because of the wicked and the way that they forsake the law of God. That's kind of where we live a little bit. We get frustrated with that. But notice what he says. Your statutes, your teachings have been my song. It has been the one that has brought peace to my heart. It has brought me life. 
Unless your law, watch this, unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. In other words, in the spot that you find yourself in this morning, in all the things that you've tried to medicate it and to fix it and get you out of it, none of those things are going to work. However, he says, I loved your statutes and laws. That is what helped me. They were my delight. I found joy in them. Or else I would have perished. And some of you are perishing right now. You feel it. I know it. I'm telling you. I can't answer all the questions you've got, but I can answer a big one. Whatever you're using to medicate it, whatever you're using to try to fix it, it's not going to work unless it's Christ. It is his word that will help. And I'm here to walk with you. He says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me. Hmm. Hmm. Life is not only found in his word, but it's found in his wisdom. It's found in his wisdom. Ecclesiastes 7.12 says, For wisdom is a defense, as money is a defense, but the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Now, where do we get it? Where do we get this wisdom? In his word. It's not rocket science, people. We get his wisdom in order to have life through his word. And where does his word come from? It comes from him. Life is found in his word through wisdom that he gave us because life is truly found in Jesus. Look what he says in John chapter six. He says, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Does does everybody know who that he is? That he is Jesus. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. You want to be fixed? You want to be healed? You want to be helped? You want to medicate? I'm the guy. My words are the bread that you need. Look what it says. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Let me tell you something. I recognize really quickly that there are addictions that are really real, really real. And they're not an easy fix. Just pray them away and they just go away. There are steps that have to be taken to get to there. But I'm telling you right now, one of those steps needs to be allowing your heart to be filled with his word because it is his word that will satisfy that addiction that you have in the long run. It just is. So how do we find life? We find it in his word. You got to dig in. But Alan, I don't understand it when I read it. Fine. Come sit with me. I don't understand it all, but we'll figure it out together. It takes practice. It takes intentionality. It takes commitment to sit down and say, okay, God, I'm going to read this. Help me understand what it is. Take notes, write questions, do whatever you got to do. But give the spirit an opportunity to inside of you to speak to you. He can't do that when we're going to other things to try to medicate the issues that he wants to fix. Life is found in Christ alone. It just is. 
It can only be found in him. Now, I know there's a lot of things out there that says, well, you can try this and that. I'm telling you, I've said it a thousand times already this morning. They are dead and they are empty tombs that you will find yourself in and you will be lost and lonely forever. You just will. And until you make the conscious effort and decision to let Jesus be Lord of all your life, you're going to continue to go to those dead and empty tombs. And you're going to continue to be empty in certain areas of your life. Happy Easter. <laughs> Do you know why I can say that? Because he's risen. And because he is risen indeed, you this morning in the spot that you are in, you can come to him and say, I need you. I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. I don't even understand or, or not sure yet about the whole resurrection thing, but I'm just going to believe that it's true and see what you're going to do with it. It starts somewhere. As the praise team comes, I've got three ponderings for you this morning. I just love that word. Number one. This is really for the believers in the room. Do you go and tell quickly what you find in Christ? This really should be a challenge for us, all of us. It doesn't have to be the next big monumental sermon title or, or monumental theological stance. Anything that God does in your life, be quick in telling someone. Share it with them. And then with the unbelievers, let them know what God's got going on in your life. Let them come and see what he's doing that they can go and tell quickly when God changes their lives. Question number two. This is really for all of us. Whether you are a follower of God or not. What are you seeking? What are you seeking that is absolutely empty or dead? Listen, God's already brought it to your mind. I know that seems kind of creepy that I keep saying that, but I just know how he works. I remember how he works. I hated how he worked. I hated sitting in the seats that you sat, listening to a preacher just like me, and already God working on my heart and bringing stuff up that I didn't want to hear or see. I remember. That's why I can say it with confidence, because I know he does it. Here's the trick. What you going to do about it? You going to keep sitting there? Keep being empty. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to be mean and nasty. I'm just trying to help you understand the seriousness of the state that you're choosing to stay in. It will cost you everything. And the only thing it will cost you this morning to come to him is to give him everything. And he will restore even more back to you. But at some point, you got to choose. You have to choose to give it up. It's on you. Your mama can't do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you. Your kids can't do it for you. You, as an individual person, have to stand up and say, I'm done seeking these empty things, and I'm going after Christ. And until you do that, nothing's going to change. And lastly, what are you seeking for, for life? What are you seeking for life? What is it in your life that you're looking to to bring you life? I'm telling you right now, you can keep looking. You're not going to find it until you find Christ. I'm going to be standing right up here. I'll be happy to talk with you. I'll be happy to pray with you. These altars are open. I know it's kind of weird. There's a lot of new faces in here. But let me tell you something. When you get alone with Jesus, all these people disappear. You won't know that they're even here. You won't. 
But at some point in time, you're going to have to make a choice. This morning is the best opportunity, better day than any other day because we celebrate what he did for all of us by rising from the grave. God, I love you. I appreciate all that you do. You are so good, so true, and so right. Take your word this morning. Drive it home. Allow us to make those hard choices and to face the things that we don't want to face. But God, remove some barriers this morning. Remove some empty tombs in our life. Remove the dead weight that is causing us to be empty inside. May we find your grace and your mercy and your love today. In Jesus' name.